0: Wow, well, good morning. What a morning it's already been. I got a question for you as we begin. Uh, how many of you have ever been exposed to Handy Manny? Whether you got a little kid in your life, a grandkid, maybe you're still in the thick of it right now, and and you know who I'm talking about when I talk about Handy Manny. Handy Manny is a, a handyman in a children's TV show, and uh, he has a set of tools. And one of the things I noticed as we watched this with our boys uh, was that the, the tools' names were symbolic. They had some fun with this. Like, the, the, you know, the, the tape measure is stretch. The hammer is pat. Yeah, it just takes a minute on some of these. The saw is dusty, right? And uh, squeeze is the pliers. But my favorite, by far, of all the tools were Turner, the screwdriver, and Felipe, the Phillips screwdriver. You're catching a theme. They even lived in Sheetrock hills, right? Okay, so this is a lot of fun. But what I noticed was the eagerness and the desire that the tools had to be the tool that got used for the job. They all wanted to work together. They all wanted to accomplish it as a team, but there was an eagerness for each tool to be the tool in Handy Manny's hand, and you didn't see this rivalry any more clearly than between Turner and Felipe. The two screwdrivers, right? It's like, this is a job for me. No, this is a job for me. And, you know, one was clearly more superior than the other. But it got me thinking about if we could maybe take this illustration a little farther and consider for a moment, is it possible that God desires us to be tools in his kingdom toolbox? And would get great delight from us eagerly desiring to be the tool in his hand. Not necessarily going too far with this, but not competing with one another, but having a strong desire, an eager desire to be the tool that God uses in the life of another person to speak Jesus into their life, to share a prayer for them, to introduce them to Christ, to serve in a children's ministry or a student ministry or a senior's ministry, or to usher or to greet or to hand out roses on Mother's Day to all the ladies. However it may be, I think there would be a certain delight in God's heart if we were as eager to be the tool in his hand as Manny's tools were to be in his. Now, we're finishing up a series titled Kingdom Families today, and uh, I hope that we don't stop. You know, there's always that concern that we shift gears, we change subjects, we end one series and start a new series, and, and don't stop growing as kingdom families. Don't stop leaning into this. Don't stop applying the truths that we have been focusing on. As as we've had this theme throughout the series is this that we are king's kids and that everyone we see is a current or potential child of god if you are in a relationship with jesus christ scripture is clear you give, you've been given the right to become a child of god and so is everyone else who has come to faith in jesus christ and those who haven't yet come to faith in jesus christ should be our mission field and so as we kind of come out of this series where we've looked at marriage, we've looked at that as a submission competition, we've talked about how can we live with no regrets in our relationships with God, with each other, in our families, and in this world. And then last week we looked at parenting specifically and how kingdom families are king's kids raising king's kids. And so whether those are your biological children and you are a king's kid raising your king's kids, Or you are coming into the life of another child as a king's kid in order to raise king's kids, to develop them, to help them understand that there is a God who loves them. There is a heavenly father who will go to every possible extreme in order to bring them into his family. And so as we celebrate mothers today and as we celebrate the women in our lives and the way that women have contributed and have been the hands and feet of God, in our lives. We do so recognizing that that Mother's Day is a happy celebration for the vast majority of us, but it also comes with some strings attached for some people. And some of those are dearly held heartstrings, whether it's regrets or disappointment from the past or whether it's long unfulfilled hopes for the future. We recognize that Mother's Day comes with some strings attached, and so we recognize that as well, and we pray for those who have a little tinge of sorrow on Mother's Day. But we also keep in mind that as we conclude this series, one of the main themes of this series has been the stewardship of our relationships, that the stewardships of our relationships within our families and in the world around us really matters to God, and that families, kingdom families in particular, are the training ground for a kingdom mindset, and for us to learn how to steward those relationships with ourselves, with our spouse, with our children, with our parents, with our extended family, our church family, and the world around us. So today, we are looking outward. We are sending outward, and we are focusing on an idea of of a family on a mission. That's our topic today, or that's our, our sermon's title today, that we would be a family on a mission. And I question to begin, is your family really your family, or is it perhaps an instrument in the kingdom of God? Is it a tool in God's toolbox to reach a world that desperately needs Him? Is it an instrument for the expansion of God's kingdom? And so we're going to focus on Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. It's on page 1799 in the blue Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. If you need a Bible, we welcome you to grab one of those and open it up. If you're joining us online or you have your own Bible, that's great. We'll also have this on the screen behind me. But the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is is that it finds itself in a larger um, section of Scripture from chapter 4 to 6 in 2 Corinthians, which is the second letter that we have that Paul wrote to a church in a a city called Corinth and in these chapters paul is describing and celebrating the new covenant in christ's blood so last week we participated in communion and we celebrated the new covenant in his blood which was given for us for the remission of our sins and paul is talking about that and in verses 5 or chapter 5 verses 1 through 10 he's talking specifically about heaven and how great heaven really is and then in verses 14 through 21 he talks about our part In bringing this good news to other people and so that's where we're going to read I'll read through 14 through 21 all together and then we'll walk through this verse by verse but Paul writes here for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again So, from now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." Now this is a famous passage and it's famous for a reason. It might be familiar to you. Maybe you've heard this preached on before or you've underlined this one in your Bible. And it's an extremely important passage. It's famous and familiar for a reason. This is a clear and concise statement of the good news of the gospel and our part to play in the spreading. Of that good news. This is in some ways one of Paul's great commissions. Jesus, before he went up into heaven after his death and resurrection, he gave a commission to his disciples, to his followers, and by extension to us. And Paul picks up on that and makes several statements like this in his letters, these commissioning sections. And so we see this in the first section there, in verse 14, 15, and 16. We see in verse 14, Paul is saying that Christ's love compels us. Now, that word compels is sometimes translated as controls, okay? So it's not like he's just saying, well, you know, if you have some time and you're available, could you please? His love doesn't speak to us that way. That when we really get it, when we really get the love of Christ and what's been done for us, and what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to, that love compels us, it controls us, it thrusts us forward. In fact, one way of rendering or translating that word compel from its original language is to make a prisoner to both urge and constrain, so it pushes us forward, but it puts very tight parameters on where we can go and what we can do because we are compelled. We're not just doing an ought to, We're doing a have to. That's the language that Paul is using, that it compels us. It urges us forward. It constrains us for the mission that we have. And he clarifies this a little further in verse 15. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so the question here would be, for you individually, does Christ's love compel you? Does it urge you forward? Does it control you? Does it chart the course for your life? Or do you live for yourself? There's really only two alternatives there. Christ's love either compels us and we no longer live for ourselves, we live for Him, or we're still kind of calling the shots. We're on the throne. And the same is true for your family. If you have a family and you think about this, whether it's a family of two or a family of four or a family of more, I like the way that sounds. We might use that again. Does Christ's love compel your family forward? Does it urge you forward? And the real question is, who are you living for? And who is your family living for? Are you living for yourselves? And what's in it for you? Or are you living for Christ and for his kingdom? Have you set your sights on him and his mission in this world and how you can be a part of it? Verse 16 really reminded me of our bottom line from week one, that we are all current and potential children of God. Everyone you look at is either a current child of God or a potential child of God. Verse 16 says, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We don't see people, we don't see Jesus from a worldly point of view. We see everyone from a heavenly point of view. We've talked about that in this series, that, that one of the best ways to grow in your relationships with people is to ask God to help you see them the way He sees them, to ask God to help you see your spouse as He sees your spouse, to ask God to help you see your children as He sees your children, to see them through His eyes and not through your own. Now, on this idea of the mission that we have, Charles Spurgeon famously said, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary, they're on mission for God in his world, or they're an imposter. And that's pretty strong language. And I remember the first time I heard that, I didn't really like it very much. Or maybe you don't really like it very much. Because I realized I was more an imposter than a missionary. I wasn't considering God's mission in this world through me and through my life. And so I share that sort of selectively, even though I strongly believe that it it is true, that when we come into the kingdom, unless we're absolutely brand new and we've had no training whatsoever, no understanding of who we are or how we fit in God's kingdom, or we're in a crisis, like an absolute crisis, we should be on mission for God. And so if you're not in your first couple of years or you're not in a crisis right now, you should be regularly asking, God, what is your will for me in my life? What is it that you want me to be doing? What is your mission for me today or in this season of life or in this location, in this workplace, in this family situation? What's your mission? What do you want to accomplish through my life as a result? Because we don't look at each other from a worldly point of view. We don't look at God from a worldly point of view. We look at Him as Lord. And we ask him, tell me what it is you want me to do. Our bottom line today is that kingdom families have a kingdom mission. Kingdom families have a kingdom mission. Now, a newer attender told me a couple of weeks ago, as I was visiting with them and saying, what brought you to Linwood? And I like to always follow that with a question, what kept you at Linwood? If they've been here more than once or twice. And she said, oh, we really like a lot of things about it. We like that there are people our age here. We like, Lord... We like that you make us squirm sometimes. our last church, the pastor never made us squirm. And we realized that wasn't such a good thing. And so I'm not going to out this person. um, But if, if you're squirming right now and you don't like it, you might have her to thank a little bit. And I think there's a continuum here as we think about this idea and anytime that an idea comes to us or, or a truth comes to us and it stings a little bit, there's a continuum there that there might be conviction. Yeah, I could do better here. And the Holy Spirit reveals something to us, and I'm clear that we don't do condemnation at Linwood, so that's a tool of the enemy. We don't, we don't employ that tool. Sometimes he tries to bring condemnation when something is said or shared that feels uncomfortable and pushes us away from God. But the Spirit is always drawing us to God. So the Spirit will use conviction to bring us closer to God. So you may be feeling conviction right now. You might be feeling challenged right now. Like There was a time when I was 100% on mission for God, and and I recognize that that's not the case in, in this season of my life, and I want to change that. And maybe you're feeling encouraged that I've been making some changes. I've been trying to be on mission for God, and I'm seeing that more and more. Or maybe you're just affirmed. And you say, I've been... A missionary for God for some time. Wherever that lands for you, I want to encourage you that God desperately desires this not just for himself, but for you. Not just for his gain, but for your gain to be a missionary in his kingdom. And that doesn't mean you have to get on a plane and go across the World to some foreign location where nobody speaks the language and they all dress different and talk different and have different customs. You can be a missionary in your family. You can be a missionary in your workplace. You can be a missionary in your neighborhood. God has a mission, and you can be a part of it. And so take a breath. There's more good news. And I think Paul almost is taking a breath for us in verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's how we regard people who are in Christ now, is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And if you are in Christ, you are made new. You're no longer constrained to the old. You're no longer compelled to the old way of life or by the old way of life or by the flesh. You're made new You're made new in Christ. You have a new identity. You have a new destiny. You're going to spend eternity somewhere else if you are in Christ. This is good news. And not only do you have a new identity and a new inheritance and a new eternal destination, you have a new mission in life. You have a new mission. And Paul speaks to this in verses 18 and 19 saying all this is from God, all this good news is from God, all of this transformation, this new creation is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Does that blow your mind? That God had this ministry of reconciliation, that the whole world needs to be reconciled to Him through Jesus Christ, and He gave that ministry to us. He gave that ministry to you and me, not just to professional clergy, but to all of us. Paul is writing this letter to a church, and he's saying he's given this to us. This is now our ministry. We are the ones to carry this forward. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the mission. Now, a ministry is a service or to meet a need. And in the original language, it literally carries the connotation of waiting tables, meeting a need. And I like that word picture because everyone we see needs reconciliation with God. They either have it and they're part of the team and we're on mission together or they need it. And we can be those that come and set the table for God to bring them into his family. We get to set the table, we get to wait on tables, we get to serve others. This is our purpose, this is our mission, and this is the greatest source of joy that we can know, is to be used by God for a purpose bigger than ourselves. To be able to watch somebody that you had a part in leading to the Lord or in ministering to or or something come up out of the waters of baptism, there's no greater joy than to know that somebody will be in heaven for eternity because of something that you had a part of. Just like Handy Manny's tools, it doesn't get any better than being the tool in God's hand when he accomplishes salvation in a person's life, when someone is reconciled to God through him, through this ministry of reconciliation that he is now entrusted and committed to us. And so Paul continues in verse 20, And he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So Paul is saying we're now ambassadors for Christ. He's not an ambassador for us only. Christ came from heaven in order to save us. He gave his life on the cross for us. He lived a perfect sinless life. He died and was buried and was resurrected. He was an ambassador from heaven for us. And now Paul is saying we are his ambassadors. And the Helps Word Study says that an ambassador is an established statesman or diplomat, a trusted, respected ambassador who is authorized to speak as God's Emissary to represent his kingdom. Just like an ambassador for the United States in a foreign land speaks for the United States in that foreign land. That's the image that Paul is painting for us. The picture that Paul is painting for us is that we are ambassadors for Christ in that same way. It doesn't say that we should be his ambassadors. It doesn't say we ought to be. It says we are. So we are either good ambassadors for Christ, representing him very, very well, or we're not very good ambassadors for Christ, and we're not representing Him well. And when people see the Jesus fish on our car, but they don't see a Christ-like driver, that doesn't represent Him well. Because we're ambassadors for Christ, just like if I was the ambassador for the United States in a foreign country, everything I do in that foreign country represents Christ to those people, or represents the United States to those people. So by contrast, If I'm an ambassador for Christ in this world, everything I do in this world represents Christ to this world. And I think the church has lost a lot of ground in the current culture because of this. Because nominal Christians, by name only, have not represented Christ very well. And those that do represent Christ well get lumped in with the rest of them. But we are only accountable for ourselves and what we do. And what we do matters. In fact, Christ says in John thirteen thirty five, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is a self-sacrificing surrender. It's to meet a need in another's life. It's to set someone's needs in front of your own. And that's why our bottom line, kingdom families have a kingdom mission. Your family, if it's a kingdom family, has a kingdom mission. And I love verse 21. It's almost like Paul puts this there as a reminder. Just in case we would forget or, or wonder why or get tired of doing this. It's like he's saying, don't forget. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's a total transformation. That's what's been accomplished. That's the good news that we get to be a part of spreading into this world as ambassadors for Christ and so for the rest of our time and I'm going to try to move through these very quickly uh, I want to talk about some ideas for cultivating a missional family cultivating a missional family and if that language sounds familiar even though it was only about two months ago it seems like it might as well have been a year ago March 5th just seems like so far back but we had a missions lunch with Tom and Grace Entz and they shared about this topic in our family forum of cultivating a missional family And they know something about it. They're career missionaries in Brazil and now Southeast Asia, and they grew up here at Linwoods. When we talk about being a family of families, they were part of that family of families, and now they've been serving on the mission field for decades. And one of the big takeaways from that program and and the things that they shared was when they talked about considering the costs, and not necessarily in the way that you might think. You see, you consider the cost not just of following Christ, But they talked as much about considering the cost of not following Christ in your family, in your life, in your workplace. That yes, it will cost you something to follow Christ. In fact, it will cost you a lot to follow Christ. But it will cost you infinitely more to not follow Christ. So yeah, there's some costs associated with it. We should consider those costs. But as we're considering the costs, we should consider the cost of not following Jesus. Not only in this life, but in the eternity to come. Those costs are immeasurable to not follow Christ. And not only in our own lives, but if we don't do the mission that God has for us in this world, we don't get to be a part of that. Now, I firmly believe that God will meet that need in somebody's life through somebody else. I was just reading through Esther this last week, and it was talking about when Mordecai comes to Esther, and he says, if you don't go and save the Jews, salvation will come some other way. There were his covenant people. It's going to be okay. But you're going to miss out on the opportunity, and you'll live with that for the rest of your life. And it kind of brought a gravity to this. Like the cost of following Jesus and the cost of not following Jesus, the cost of not following Jesus is infinitely higher than we can imagine, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. They might miss out on a relationship with Jesus for some period of time because we wouldn't be on mission for God in this world. Now, the second one, the first is to consider the cost, the second one is to, this is just a suggestion for cultivating a a, a missional family, and one of the things that they kind of talked about was, was having a family mission statement, like having a goal. Zig Ziglar said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time, right? Now, we as a church family, we have a mission statement to reach people for Christ, to give them a place to belong, to help them grow in their faith. We have a vision. This is where we're going with that mission to be and increasingly become a healthy family of families. We have core values. Does your family have a mission statement, something that drives you forward, something that helps you make decisions? Do you have a vision, a preferred future that you're hoping to get through to through that mission? Do you have core values? Do your kids know them? Maybe it's my organizational leadership bent, but we literally have this. This is the Sundstrom family mission, vision, and core values. We used to talk about this a lot. And our kids know it. And I even asked one of our kids, I was like, what are are some of the things that you think we did to cultivate a missional family? And I loved the answer. He said, you taught us to be other-centered, like right from the start. That was just normal. I didn't realize it was normal until I started meeting other kids (laughs) that weren't other centered. And so that's a third one. You know, have a family mission statement, pray about it, pray through its creation, talk about it, pray it often over your family. But teach your children, teach children to be other-centered. They don't even have to be yours. You can teach other children, other people's kids to be other-centered. You can do that as a mentor. You can do that as a foster parent. You can do that just as a a Kidsway or LSM leader. You can help children learn to be others-centered from a very early age. This will be a lot easier if you're other-centered yourself, because like we talked about last week, that more is caught than taught. And so if you're telling them to be other-centered, but you're not modeling being other-centered, they're going to pick up on that. We have to model it, we have to talk about it, we have to reinforce it. We have to put them in situations where they can be other-centered and then we celebrate it when we see it, because what's celebrated gets repeated. And too often, we celebrate all the individual accomplishments in our kids' lives, but we don't celebrate it with the same enthusiasm when they serve others or when they do something for someone else. And so they indirectly get the idea that, well, maybe it really is more about me. And so we can learn to celebrate when we see somebody be others-centered. And we can put them in situations where they get to be other-centered. That leads to number four, where we serve together as a family. Make it normal. Make it natural. This is just what we do. We we serve. We serve at church. We serve at local ministries. We serve our neighbors. We serve because that's what kingdom families do, and we're a kingdom family. And I love it when I see a whole family serving together here at Linwood. Sometimes we have them out at, at welcoming people in, and there's little kids, and they're saying hi, welcome to Linwood, and there's parents, and. It's hectic, and it's difficult sometimes, but we celebrate that. And I always try to go and tell those kids, thank you so much for serving. Thank you for coming with your family and serving together. We love this. We celebrate this. And one of the more heartwarming elements of our sabbatical experience last summer was when we were in a staff meeting, and it kind of hit us all at once. It's like, oh, it's not just going to be me that's gone. It's going to be our, our whole family. Like, <laughs> Heather serves regularly in the nursery, and the kids are regular in kids' way, and in the tech team, and so forth. And we're like, man, the Sunstrom's being gone for nine weeks is going to be a big deal, not just on the stage on Sunday morning. And, and we looked at each other and we said, well, I think that's a mission accomplished moment in our family that we we want our kids to serve. And it was wonderful to have a sabbatical as a family. We hardly ever go to f- church all together as a family. And we did that nine weeks in a row because of the gift you gave us of a sabbatical, and we were able to to be in that season together and to experience sabbatical together. Now this last one might require just a little bit of, of definition, but this idea of making your home a missions outpost. That if you are a kingdom family and you have a kingdom mission, would you consider viewing your home as a missions outpost in this world? And a missions outpost would be that idea that we're in a foreign culture. That world out there, it's kind of a foreign culture. But if our family, if our home can be a missions outpost where we have people over often, maybe your kids, you're right in the thick of it with kids and you choose to reach kids through your kids and you have kids over all the time and and you buy the extra groceries and you do the extra things so that they have a safe place and they have a place where they can learn and grow and you can affirm and you can speak into their lives, Maybe you could borrow our our snow cone machine. We've talked about this in the past. It's available. Just call us if you'd like to set up snow cones for your neighborhood or something like that. Make your home a missions outpost by bringing in a foster child or adopting a child or being a harbor family for a family that's going through a difficult season. One idea that I want to throw out here that we're going to be introducing this year, it actually came on our radar during the sabbatical, is the idea of a neighborhood block party where you try to reach your neighborhood for Christ just by having your neighbors over for a party. And, and so we're going to host kind of a sample one. If you're interested in this idea, we would like you to come on June 10th to our house and we'll kind of show you. We, we're going to put some things together to help you do this in your neighborhood where you could have a lot of neighbors over, maybe one or two of your friends from church. It shouldn't be like a friends from church party with one or two neighbors. I mean. You can deal with the Lord on that. We're not going to get into the weeds on it. But the idea is that you might be able to welcome people into your home and create relationships with them. Maybe have one or two people from Linwood that you can build some relationships. And and just be real. Be on mission in the world. Have a block party. Have, Have your neighbors over. Interact with them. Get to know them a little bit. We'll give you $100 towards this to cover expenses. We'll, we'll give you yard games and things like that. We'll help you set it up with a registration page and things like that. You can cap that so you don't end up with 60 or 70 people. If you want to keep it to 40 or you want to keep it to 30, you can do that. But we'll create a structure for you to do this, to see your home as a missional outpost in your neighborhood, in your world. Or maybe you bring people from work over and you just have them in your home. Jesus was always doing this around tables. He was meeting with people. If you come to that one on the on the 10th, we'll have you over. We'll give you a hamburger. We'll have fellowship together. And we'll share what the structure is and how you can do this yourself and what resources are available to you. Because kingdom families have a kingdom mission. And so, whether your family is a family of one or two or four or more or 12 or however many it is, be asking God, What's your mission? Maybe you know it. Maybe you know what your mission is. You know what your mission field is. You know who it is that you are here to reach. But if you don't, then then what can you do to cultivate a missional family? What can you do to cultivate a missional family with your grandkids? How can you serve? How can you mentor? How can you invest in others? Because I wrote this in my notes as I was preparing for this. We talk about being a family of families, and we want to be a kingdom family of kingdom families, absolutely. We want to be a healthy family of families. But this family of families is either a group of missionaries, of kingdom families on a mission, to paraphrase Charles Spurgeon, or it's a bunch of imposters. And I really want it to be the former. And I really want everybody to take a step. We always talk about taking your next step. Take your next step in being a family on a mission, whether that's one two or four, be a family on a mission. God's mission in this world, the mission of reconciliation, bringing people to Christ, bringing people into the family of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have reconciled us to yourself through Christ. We're grateful for those that we're on mission in this world that reached us, whether it was a Sunday school teacher or a friend or a co-worker or a neighbor, there was somebody you used to be your hands and feet to accomplish your mission of reconciling us to yourself. And so we think about them right now. We give thanks for them right now. And we ask you, Lord, to to help us to know what's our mission. And if, if we know it, help us to charge forward, to be compelled by your love. And if we don't know it, Lord, help us to discern it. Help us to get clarity around it. Help us to get active in it, to be ambassadors for Christ that are bringing people into the saving knowledge and the family of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.